Good morning, everyone. The Bible reading is from Luke chapter 1, and we're reading from verse 5 to 38. I will be using some uh, Hebrew pronunciation for a few names. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zahariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abia. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aharon. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zaharia's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zaharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zaharia, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zahariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zaharia and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, His wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galil, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. 
The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin... The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, good day, everybody. My name is Scott. I'm really glad to be here. It's, it's kind of a We've got a funky stage. We've got the flashing lights behind me. I feel like I'm at a rock show, but hey, I go to really dull rock shows, don't I, apparently? <laughs> yeah. Uh, every now and again, um, events will happen or, or, or a special day will arrive and it will mark the beginning of something new. A new age will dawn. This can happen on a somewhat small scale. Uh, for example... Earlier this year, my family grew by one. We had little Isaac came into the world, and it was the start of a new era for our family, an era marked by stinky nappies, less sleep, more noise, uh, but a cute little dude, right? It kind of makes it worth it. New age for our family dawned on that day, though. That, that's, that's on a small scale, but that kind of thing can happen on a very large scale as well. Um, think about September 11 for a moment. September 11 in 2001, it marked a new age for our world. Little things happen like tighter security at the airport, but, but it's more than that, isn't it? This kind of stuff lingers on in our psyche even now. It profoundly shaped us so that after that date, the world has entered a new age. And there are other times... When a new age is, people make a lot of fuss. They say we're heading for something new, but a new age never actually dawns on us. Nothing really happens, nothing changes. Do you remember what it was like just before we got to the year 2000? Some of you are saying no, we weren't around then, but um, there was a theory that computers couldn't handle the date change when we go from 99, as in 1999, to 2000 or just double zero, the computers would crash. They wouldn't know what to do. And there were plenty of doomsday people convinced that this would cause all sorts of problems. 
Our computers would shut down, and so our systems would fail, and our planes would fall out of the sky. There'd be massive power outages and food shortages. It was going to be an apocalyptic event. But what happened? Well, in Australia, some of the ticket machines on the buses stopped working, apparently. But that's about it. It's kind of underwhelming, right? A promise of a big new age, big changes... But in the end, all, it takes is, all, all that means is your, your bus ride might take a bit longer because you have to shell out the change from your back pocket. We just read a part of the Bible where two babies were promised. And so obviously for two families there, there was a new age dawning. Their families were growing by one. But it was far bigger than that. We, we heard there that those, these babies are, are going to change things. They're going to bring about a new age. Not just on a small scale. They're going to reshape the world as we know it. And, and the reverberations of that have been felt down through history, even till today. So let's take a closer look, shall we? You, you might have been struck by a few weird things as we read that passage before. Strange names like Abijah, uh, a weird incense lighting ritual that happens in a temple, a senior citizens having a baby even before the days of IVF, and a, a virgin getting pregnant. But the character that you saw constantly throughout those two uh, stories was an angel. And it might get you thinking, angels? What do you mean, angels? Because if you're anything like me, you've never actually seen an angel before. They're not part of everyday life, and it can be so easy then just to kind of write this part of the Bible off as just kind of weird, as disconnected from reality. Perhaps even it's just plain unbelievable. And in a sense, you are right, because angels don't appear all the time, not even in the Bible. But when they do, it tells us something important is about to happen. That's why they're there. They're like a a big neon sign that's flashing, kind of like these lights here, but much bigger. Flashing, trying to capture our attention, saying, there's something important, don't miss it. So what is the big important thing? One angel makes two appearances, and each time he promises that a baby will be born, and this baby will be a big deal. First we met Zechariah. And as we meet Zechariah, we hear Zechariah's baby is a big deal because he prepares people for a new age. Let's kind of trace Zechariah's story along here. It actually starts off as quite a sad story. Uh, Zechariah and his wife, they haven't been able to have any kids. Some of us here know the sadness that this brings. And for this couple, that's been their life story. Now they're old, and we pick up the story with Zechariah as an old man. It actually happens to be a pretty big day for him because, well, Zechariah is a priest, and he happens to be on duty in the temple, so he'd be somewhere there in Jerusalem. Uh, and this, on this particular day, he gets chosen for a, a big task. He gets to light the incense candles in a very special part of the temple of God. This is something a priest will only ever do once in their lifetime. It's a big day for Zechariah. But it's about to get much bigger. Bigger than he ever anticipated. He goes into this part of the temple and then suddenly, 
there is an angel standing in front of him. Zechariah is gripped with fear because in the Bible, angels aren't those nice little cherubs you put in your garden. Angels are big and scary. But take a listen to what the angel tells him. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Skip down to verse 16. And he will bring many people of many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of their children and of the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah's baby is going to do the things that Elijah did. Elijah lived around 850 years before Jesus. He was an Israelite guy. He was a prophet, a prophet of God, which is unique at that time because at that time, most people had decided that God wasn't good enough for them. And so they turned to another so-called God, and this God's name happened to be Baal. But Elijah wanted to bring about a new age where people would turn away from Baal and turn back to God. So he set up a contest. It happened at, up at that place where the arrow is pointing there. It's a place called Mount Carmel. This contest, it would have been like an ancient version of the showdown between Port and the Crows. You know, stacks of people come together. Uh, we're all coming. We want to see who's win, who will win. But here, there is more than just pride on the line. This is all set up to determine which God is really the real God. So they made two big altars uh, out of stacks of wood. Imagine kind of two large bonfires with a dead cow on top. And at first, uh, Baal's prophets, they were supposed to pray. There were about 450 of them. Uh, and they were supposed to pray and ask Baal to light up their big bonfire. But there was no response when they did this. So they started dancing around and chanting and still there was no response. And it all becomes a little bit of a farce at this point. Elijah starts taunting them, Hey guys, yell louder. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's busy thinking about something else. Maybe he's gone traveling. They yell louder and louder and louder, but nothing happens. They even, they even get to the point, these 450 prophets, where they cut themselves with their swords to try and impress the gods. But the God of Baal does nothing. Then Elijah steps forward. He gets his bonfire ready to go. Dead cow on top. And then he gets 12 large jars of water and has it thrown over the top of this bonfire. The wood get, gets wet. There's a little trench that they've dug around the bonfire. It gets kind of filled up with all the leftover water that pours off. And then Elijah prays. This is what he says. Oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you are the Lord their God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell. And burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones in the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. 
That's a cracking tale, isn't it? A cracking yarn. But it's got a really sad ending. So what do you think happens at this point? Well, you'd think after seeing this before their eyes, that people would turn back to God, which is exactly what Elijah had prayed for. But no. In fact, the very next day, Elijah is forced to run for his life, to flee. Because the queen wants his head. And this new age where people would turn back to God, it just didn't happen. And ultimately, in the story of the history of Israel, the nation never did turn back to God. There are bright spots here and there. But as a nation, that the hearts of the people stay turned away from God. And then 400 years later, another prophet speaks. His name is Malachi. And he talks about a new age that's going to come. A time when God will come in judgment. He'll bring justice and restore all things. But Malachi says, before that day comes, God's going to send someone else. This is what Malachi writes. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Malachi says that, that that Elijah person is coming again. He's coming to bring that new age where hearts do get turned back to God. It's not about restoring family relationships here. It's about having your hearts turned to your spiritual forefathers, to, to be like the ancestors who did love God. That's what Malachi says is coming. And then 450 years after Malachi an angel appears to Zechariah and he says to Zechariah, you're going to have a baby and your baby, he's that guy. He's the second Elijah. He's going to bring people into the new age. He's going to turn people back to God. Small baby, big promise. But Zechariah didn't believe the angel, so he becomes unable to speak. But then he goes home to his wife, and God keeps his word. Elizabeth is pregnant. Just before we go on that, I want to give a a couple of reflections. Uh, Firstly, do you notice how powerful prayer is there? Firstly, it's God God hears the prayers of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and he answers them. He gave them a baby. God listens to prayer. Now, it's also it's right to say at this point, God doesn't always give us what we ask for. Or sometimes he does give us what we ask for and just doesn't keep the timetable that we want of him. I'm, I'm pretty sure Zachariah wasn't expecting this in his old age. Uh, he was probably thinking this might happen 20 or 30 years ago, but now here he is as a senior citizen and the prayer, of God, the, the prayer he's prayed to God has been answered. But for me, as I've been thinking about the passage this week, I... I've realized I've forgotten this about God, that praying to God is powerful, that God listens to prayer, that praying to God is powerful because the God we pray to is powerful. I realized I'd forgotten this. And I knew I'd forgotten it 
Because if I did remember it, I'd be praying all the time, wouldn't I? Here we meet a God who's not, he's not weak and impotent. He's a God who's able. He's able to do things well beyond our power. So we pray, don't we? Uh, secondly, uh, let me ask you this, this question. Where's your heart at? What's your heart turned to? Zachariah's baby is ushering in a new age. And the key thing, key thing for this new age is a, a heart turned to God. So let me ask you, where, where's your heart at? Here are some useful questions that might help you diagnose that. Um, what gets your time and energy? What are you daydream about? Where does your, where does your money go? They might just help you diagnose where your heart's at. But, but what is it for you? Where is your heart turned to? About six months after all this happened with Zechariah, the same angel makes his second appearance. This time not down at Jerusalem, but up further north at a place called Nazareth. And not to an old man, but now to a young woman. Her name is Mary. And Mary herself is actually on the verge of a very big day as well. She's uh, soon to be married. And the angel comes to Mary, and, and, and look at what the angel says. Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with your God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Uh, three times in that passage, we're told that this baby is going to be a king. He'll be given a throne. He's going to reign. He's going to have a kingdom. And, and that's really the big thing we see from the second appearance of the, of the angel here. That is that Mary's baby is a big deal because he's going to rule in this new age. Talking about ruling and kings, uh, it, it might bring up all sorts of uh, connotations for you. Things like um, uh, kings and queens who abuse their power, um, the entitlement that comes from uh, hereditary rule. Or maybe if you think about our own queen, you might think perhaps kingship is pretty pointless because, well, it seems to be a little more than a title with no real power. Mary's baby is not your regular king. And you see that again in the words of the angel. The throne this baby will have is the throne of his father, his ancestor, David. David lived about a thousand years before this angel appears. Uh, he ruled back down there in Jerusalem again. Uh, and he was revered by all of Israel for a very long time as their, uh, their greatest king. And as their greatest king, David decided one day he wanted to build God a house, a, a temple. And God said to him, actually, no, someone else will do that, David. But instead, God says, instead, David, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to build a house for you. But not a house of bricks and stones, a house of king, a dynasty, a family line of kings. And this dynasty will last forever because one of your descendants will rule forever. Take a look at the words that God said to David. 
When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. After David died, his son, one of his sons, Solomon, became the king. But Solomon died and his kingdom didn't last forever. Then Solomon had a son, uh, Rehoboam, who was raised up and became the king. But he also died and his kingdom didn't last forever. And so on and so on and so on. This happened. None of the descendants really lived up to this promise. And this went on until a few hundred years later, the king of Babylon uh, invaded and took over Israel. And then none of David's descendants was even a king at all. And none of them have been a king ever since then. And so it all looks like the promises of God here have come to nothing. But then the angel appears to Mary. And the angel says to Mary, your son, he's the one. He's that descendant from David that we've been waiting for. He's the one that's going to take the throne and rule. He's the one whose kingdom will never end. Small baby here. Big promise. Mary's puzzled. She doesn't get how this could happen. I'm still a virgin, she says. So the angel assures her that that God is able. God is able. Which she accepts. And then the angel leaves. Let me just end on on a few reflections for us. Firstly, um, Mary's response is the right one. Zechariah responded to the angel, the angel who bore the message of God. Zechariah responded in unbelief. Listen to what Mary says. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, make no mistake here, Mary's life has really just been turned completely upside down. She's not yet married and she's just been told, look, you're going to get pregnant. You can't help but think what this means, what she'd be thinking. What does this mean for her marriage? Will it be called off when her fiance finds out? What does this mean for her integrity? Won't the rumor mill start uh, going round and round? Her life's just been turned upside down. And how does she respond to this? Well, she recognizes that this is God's word to her. And she recognizes her place then as God's servant. And so she humbly accepts the word of God. As we read this, we can't help but be impressed by her. And in fact, I think to want to be like her. Hers is the response to God that we're urged to have too. That humble trust in God's word. Mary's response is the right one. Second, know the age that you live in now. Zechariah was someone going to prepare a, a people for this new age. And in this new age, Mary's son is going to rule. And we don't live at the same point as Mary and Zechariah, on the edge of the new age to come. We actually live now in that new age. That new age has come. It's dawned on us. You know, it can be easy to think that this is a little bit like the whole Y2K bug thing. 
There's a lot of talk. People are saying things are going to change. But in the end, what really, does, what really has changed? The, the world's still spinning. Mary's son never became a king of anything. So what's all the fuss about? But this account written here in the Bible for us, written in the book of Luke, it's written so that we can have certainty. So that we can be sure that Jesus is the one who's king, who's in charge. Not that you can go and see him physically in a castle somewhere, but Luke's going to go on to tell us that, in fact, Jesus isn't dead. He was raised to life. And more than that, he was taken to heaven. And it's there in heaven that he sits as the ruler, not just of... um, a little chunk, a little geographical part of the world, but in fact of the whole world. And Luke wants you to be sure of this. That's why he's telling us about the angels coming to visit. That's why he's telling us about David and Elijah. So that when we go on and read the rest of the things that Luke says, when we see what they do, these two babies, we know it's actually no coincidence. They're actually caught up in something bigger Something bigger that God has said from the start was going to happen. That the angel, in, as, as a flashing neon light, has pointed, the, pointed out to us these two babies to say, this is important, take notice. This is here so that we can be sure we do live in that new age. Know the age you live in. Thirdly then, our response is to, to give our allegiance to this king, to give our allegiance to Jesus. We might not physically see Jesus now, but there's a time when he's coming back. And the Bible says at that time, the great question will be, have you given your allegiance to the king? Have you given your allegiance to Jesus? The way to respond, uh, Mary's response, it's to humbly accept the word of God. The way to live in this new age to humbly accept the word of God is to do just that. Give your allegiance to Jesus. That's really the heartbeat of our church. We are those who want to give our allegiance to Jesus and we're those who want others to, ke- to keep giving their allegiance to Jesus as well. That's why we are going to start a new church next year. Next year in September, about 50 of us are going to up and leave we're going to start a new church in a different part of Adelaide's north. And it's not because we don't like the rest of you, I assure you. In fact, for those of us who go, it's actually going to be pretty hard for us to leave you behind. But we live in an age now where Jesus is king. And we can't hold this in for ourselves. We want more and more people to hear this and, and, and more and more people to give their allegiance to Jesus. And new churches are just a key way to do that. So well, that's what we're going to do. In fact, it might be that you're here today and you actually haven't done that with yourself, for yourself. You, you, you haven't given your allegiance to Jesus yet. Maybe this is your first time here or, or you've been here for a few years. But instead of turn, turning to Jesus, your heart is turned to something else. I say, why not change that today? What's stopping you? Why not? Do you want to? Talk to the friend you came with. Uh, talk to someone you trust around here. Find me later. Talk to Craig. He'd be happy to chat as well. But I just want to say, whoever you talk to, don't, don't leave without doing nothing. Maybe you've got a question. Ask the friend. But keep moving on the path of giving your, 
giving your allegiance to Jesus. And if you want, as, as a church, this is our heartbeat, and so we'd love to help you do that. For some of you here, you have given your allegiance to Jesus, um, which is, you know, how good is it? The thing I want to leave us with is this question. Uh, sometimes we can give out, we can say we're, we're aligned with Jesus, we give him our allegiance, but there's still parts of our life that we can hold back from him. Things that you don't want to change, even though Jesus wants you to. Things that you're not prepared to give up, even though your king asks you to. I can, if we're real, most of us know what this feels like, because in some way or another, this is probably where most of us are at. The real challenge of this passage today is to stop that. Because that's living out of step with the reality of this new age. Jesus is the king and there is no part of my life that can escape that reality. There's no part of my life that can escape Jesus' rule. So as we live in this new age, friends, wherever you are, what is the next step for you in giving your allegiance to the king, to Jesus, who rules this age? Let me pray for us, shall we? Our good Father, we thank you that these two babies who mean so much, who change the shape of everything that you tell us about them, that you give us clear signs that they are important. Thank you that your promises from long ago are found to come true. Thank you so much, Father, that you don't leave you don't leave those promises without a fulfillment. And you don't leave us in the dark about it either, but you tell us. Our prayer, God, is that we would be prepared to live in this new age, that our hearts would be turned to you, that we'd give our allegiance to Jesus. Please help us see where we haven't done that. Please help us see the parts of our lives that we're holding back from Jesus. And for those of us who need to... uh, ask whether we have given our lives to Jesus. Please help us wrestle with that well. Please help us ask good questions. Please help us talk. Please keep winning us over to Jesus, we pray. Amen.